Minority Retort on X-Ray FM. X-Ray FM. Minority Retort with Jason Lamb. All right, it's Friday morning on X-Ray in the morning. That means it's time for Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which you can see at the Siren Theater. It's an all-people-of-color comedy show. It's hosted by myself, Julia Ramos, and a now-rotating cast of POC characters. But here on the show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. We also talk to other talented, thoughtful, and creative people of color who are doing big things in the community. And today... I'm pleased to be joined by my guest, playwright and actor Dale Orlander-Smith, who is currently starring in the Portland Center stage production of Until the Flood, which is an exploration of the 2014 shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri by Officer Darren Wilson, and the aftermath that followed after his exoneration in that shooting, including the protests and rioting that occurred. It was a pleasure to talk to Dale about the development of the piece and what impact it had on her personally. And Until the Flood is running at Portland Center Stage until April 21st. I also want to start by asking you, you play eight different characters in Until the Flood. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find out, first of all, for folks that haven't seen it, um, could you describe the the eight characters that you play? Uh, What they are, they're composite figures. I was the the background of the piece is that St. Louis Repertory Theater. Uh, came to me and they wanted to write a piece about, you know, the shooting, about about Ferguson, and, and just Ferguson in general, get a sense of what it was like. And they wanted to use theater as a tool. So what I did was I went down and I interviewed people, including Michael Brown Sr. And I did this in 2015, I believe. No, he, no, he was done. No, 2016 is when I did it because April 9th, uh, 2015 is when August 9th was when he was um, when he was shot. So they wanted to get a sense of what things were like. So I interviewed many many people, and then came up with these composite figures. And I made it very clear that I'm not playing anyone. Yeah, that I wanted to get a sense of what it was like. So we came up. So the director and I also then took a kind of a trip with our team, and we went down and we saw Michael's grave, and you know just uh, wanted to get a sense of the city. And then that's how those 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 pieces came about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as you mentioned, you, you, you interviewed people uh, locally in Ferguson, um, conducted hundreds of interviews, uh, in fact, with, with people there locally. But how were you able to... Not, not quite hundreds. I mean, there were, there were a lot. There were, I'd say there were about 40 or 50 people within two days. Gotcha. Um, but what were the determining factors in how you distilled those interviews and the people that you spoke with into the eight characters of the piece? How did you decide whom those characters were going to be? We just, me, the director and I just thought what was dramatically strong. Because, again, when you're dealing with a piece like this, one thing that's very, that's, you know, people are going to want their own sense of justice at the expense of someone else's truth. So, not, so people aren't really going to be, quote, unquote, satisfied. I've had people say, you should have done this, you should have done that. Because when you talk politics and when you talk gender, especially during this particular time, you know, people are very, very, very sticky. So I am, but first and foremost, I am a theater maker. You know, for me, it's beginning, middle, end, story, conflict, resolution. That's what theater is about. So in terms of dr- dr- dramatic art and stuff like that, that's how I came with those, came up with those, 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 those particular characters. Would you mind sharing what your own personal reaction was to uh, Officer Darren Wilson being uh, exonerated for the, for the shooting? 
Um, and it's not as you know. See, you're asking me a question that's very, very difficult. We was asking about Darren Wilson's. Um, it's um, you know, I obviously that there, there's there's responsibility there. There's response because I can't really go into it, but so much. I uh, definitely as as a as a as someone who practices law, as and, and I'm talking about Darren Wilson. I think he should have my own personal opinion is if he felt that he had to use his gun. He if if he really felt that he had to use it. Uh he should have shot just to wound. He didn't have to like go off because again there's um he is he is still a practicing law person. So, you know, that should be the last resort. But if he had to do it just to, if if he really did have to use his gun, he didn't have to shoot to kill. Having said that, when you talk to people who deal within law enforcement or within militia, I have to understand him as a person. I don't have to necessarily like him personally, but it's, I have to understand how the way people think. When I've talked to certain people who've been in the armed forces, say, or people who are are in um, in, in, in the military forces, you deal there's a, there's a mentality that they have that is much different than the rest of us. So I had to understand that too and not really get personal, personal. So for me, if one has to really defend oneself, I suppose you have to do that, but I think death should be the last thing, yeah? Uh, but having said that, it's also I had to understand how the way those people think. Does, does that make sense to you? Absolutely, yes. Uh, but I wanted to tell you the reason why I asked that question. Um, I wanted to know if there was a, a difference in the way you initially thought about the incident versus when you had the opportunity to speak with uh, the people there locally and how that may have impacted your perception of uh, the incident? Certainly, I mean, racism is alive and kicking. It's, you know, it, it goes and go. it has its ebbs and flows. Um, because Ferguson is a very, well, they're changing it now. It's a very divided city. It's kind of like if you, like Beaver, like, here we go. The example of Ferguson is it has many little towns. And they did that to keep, you know, people segregated. And also part of the reason why they were um, stopping black men the way they were doing was so they could keep money flowing into those towns. It's kind of like Beaverton has another mayor. And then you go into, I don't know, I don't know Portland well. It's like if you would divide the city of Portland into different towns with different mayors, that's what happened in the city of St. Louis. So you have that going on. And then so in terms of the perception of... I, people were aware that the fact that they were, you know, uh, actually the statistically the most segregated city within the U.S. is Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then you know St. Louis doesn't is not far behind. Um, so people were aware of the fact that they were ethnically and racially segregated, so that that affected them. They were looking at how far they came. It's really hard because again, it's I hear. I'm going to be honest with you, since you're asking me questions, I've heard conflicting things. In what sense? Uh, I've heard certain people say that, uh, you know, Michael reached for the cop. Other people said no. Other people said you better change your testimony. Other people said Darren Wilson was at fault. I've heard all of the above, but, 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 but here we go. You've got the question of that, and then you've got the question of race. Um, and, you know, the, the, the subject of race, and it becomes very complicated with that. Yes, I mean, certainly that place is one of the most racist places I've ever been in my life. And if Darren, and if Darren, when he shot, was seeing a black man opposed to seeing, or a boy, young man, 
opposed to seeing someone who is acting out within the law. It's like that's, 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 that's what I find fascinating. Did he shoot as many times as he did because he saw a black man opposed to someone acting out? That, that's in my mind's eye. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely it does. And, you know, the reality is we may never know what actually happened. Yeah, um, yeah we really don't. I mean, we really don't know. We truly don't know. So since this happened in in 2014, Mm. there have been many other instances where uh, an unarmed black man has been been shot. Not not just men, I should say, uh, have been shot. Um, And also there was a Native American girl that was shot in Arizona. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And even as early as, or as as late as uh, the past few days uh, in Pittsburgh, an officer was, uh, was exonerated of shooting uh, and also, again, in Ferguson, about supposedly all these people who were political activists, all of a sudden they're disappearing, yeah? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and it's just, there's been so many of these. Um, and I wanted to ask you, do you think at a certain point um, we've been, or there's a risk of us becoming desensitized to, to these events happening, um, or just merely exhausted from trying to uh, fight against... Um, these incidents happening and, and, and what it takes to, to try to bring those responsible to justice. When you say we, who do you mean? Um, well, I guess, I guess primarily the black community, but um, those who you know, believe in justice and, and fairness and um, believe that uh, you know, the police should be held to a higher um, level of responsibility, as you spoke about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know that as I do the piece, there are times when I have to take care of myself because if I were to take it all in, it would really exhaust the hell out of me. And I, and I can find myself getting depressed about it. Um, but I do tend to feel, I don't think that people will give up. And uh, I, I think that there is a definite, they were calling it Ferguson fatigue back in the day. And I think mm. now we've got national fatigue. But also having said that, though, there is no way that one can just turn their back on this. I, I, I find, and I find a lot of people are not turning their back on this. I think people are, and particularly people of a certain age who have lived, say, through the 60s and stuff like that, they may have gone, um, this, is, this is happening all over again. With them, there is, I find that there are certain people of that age that there's a great depression. I find that younger people are going, no, we're not going to give up on this. And it's, not, it's really not a pat answer, you know. Yeah, no, I understand. Like when, you de- when you deal with something like this, gosh, it's, it's just so complicated. Well, you mentioned how... Um the impact it has on you. Um, I, how do you feel when you when you walk off the stage? Um, a lot of times I'm tired, but also again I'm also aware of what goes on in the news, right? And so you know when I was in Milwaukee last year, there was you know the young man that got shot in California. That came to me, and there was like two or three two or three incidents when I was doing this. And Milwaukee is actually a very segregated city as well. That was in certain ways by far worse than than Ferguson. Um, but, um, yeah, a lot of times I am tired. A lot of times I just have to go, oh, my gosh, you know. But I think the play is important. Having said that, I am speaking to people, not for people, because I don't have the right to do that. Like the same way I sat down when I wrote the composite figures. I mean, I hope what the play does, in fact, does is create some sort of conversation, some sort of thought process. I mean, I hope it you know, plants some seed, yeah? And as we talked about, you, you do play... Eight different characters uh, in until the flood. But Did you see it? it? 
I have not seen it yet, uh, unfortunately. Okay. I look forward to seeing it. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, was there ever a, a point where, uh, or was there ever a question that you were going to play all the roles, or was there ever a thought that you would bring somebody else in to, to, to bear some of the weight? Uh, what ha- the way this is written is that it's it could be multi-character, single, single character, any race and or gender can do it. I just happen to be the one that's doing it right now. And a number of the, the, the works that you've done uh, over the years, you, you're quite prolific uh, uh, in the work that you've done, have been where you've played multiple characters. Do you, do you enjoy that approach? Is that what you go to first, or does, it, does it matter? Does it depend on what the piece is? It's, you know, I, for me, I just write theater, whatever comes to my head. And also, again, at the time, you know, I suppose if I were an actor, you know, a young actor now, my choices would have been different. But I wrote the way I wrote is because there were, you know, there weren't any roles available for me. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, America's version of eye candy, you know, and all, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had to write, you know, to survive, you know. So that's, that has, and thank God I can. So for me, it's not like really multi-character, single character. I just write theater. I'm not, you know, very mainstream at all. I mean, there are a lot of people who know my work, a lot of people who don't know my work. But I write whatever strikes me. Well, I want to thank you for your work, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the show. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you for wanting to talk with me. Yes. Uh, Until the Flood uh, is running through April 21st at Portland Center Stage, and it's written and performed by Dale Orlando Smith. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.